0: Welcome to CAA Podcast, everyone. I'm Ariana Chaiwarinan, and I'm recording here from Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm here with Stephanie Moroni and Sean Nash, and really excited to speak with them today. Stephanie and Sean will tell you a little bit about themselves. Sean, could you introduce yourself, please?
1: Of course, thank you, Ariana, And I'm so excited that you invited me to uh, do this podcast. So I'm Sean Nash, and I'm an artist, and I work with food fermentation. I often make sculptures that interact with food fermentation in vessels, and often in context of shows, installations that I'll have, the ferments will be eaten and uh, enjoyed at either an opening or a closing of a show. And I also invite participants to join the show by bringing their own ferments. In addition to being an artist, I am the social practice program head at the Kansas City Art Institute, and I've taught there for four years since I've lived in the Kansas City area. And I'm talking to you from Overland Park, Kansas, just west of Kansas City.
0: Thank you so much, Sean. And Stephanie, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ariana. I'm always excited to have an opportunity to work with Sean, too, so I appreciate the invitation. I'm Stephanie Maroney. I am a scholar of food studies and feminist science and technology studies. I work at the University of California, Davis. I work there in a program that's a part of our Humanities Institute. Uh, It's a program that helps graduate students in the arts and humanities conceive of and carry out community-engaged research projects. Uh, And in my own work, I am interested in thinking about human and microbial relationships, having a look at the way that the science of the human microbiome impacts and shapes our social worlds, And I've been participating in, I guess, artistic, pedagogical, creative practices around fermentation and mycology for the last few years that uh, are really fun and wonderful, fulfilling activities for me. And I am joining you virtually from Putwin Land in Northern California.
0: It is so exciting to have you, Stephanie and Sean, on this podcast because, as you know, CIA conversations center around this question of pedagogy in the art world. And I think you both bring a really unique perspective to that with your understanding of fermentation and the role that that can play in, in complicating normal hierarchical relationships that might be set up in higher education. And I would be really curious to hear both of your stories about your experience in higher education, you know, in graduate school, and and how that really led you to where you are right now.
1: Yeah, I'd love to answer. And I'd also, since we're on the subject of, of pedagogy, the first thing that just came to mind was how Stephanie and I met, that we met sort of as students of fermentation at the Foundation for Fermentation Fervor, Sandor Katz's school for fermentation in in middle tennessee so the the image of us being together and how we have collaborated over time since then just makes me think about that constant interest that constant yearning to be a student and that is ultimately you know, a student of everything, a student of all things. And that that's what brings me to the excitement of both collaborating with someone that I share so many great interests with, but also with fermentation as an act and as an ongoing pursuit.
2: Yeah, I really like that, that invitation to think about ourselves as students. Yeah, when, when Sean and I were talking before about the Foundation for Fermentation Fervor and how we came into that space. It was really with a desire to have a transformative experience there. I was a grad student at that time, and Sean had just finished grad school. And at that moment, the world just felt so small and isolated as I was plugging away at my dissertation and doing a very solitary act of writing and working towards some end goal that was going to be, you know, my my degree was going to be finished, and then I would face a very uncertain world of what I might do for work and for creative outlets. And so I went to the Foundation, you know, Foundation for Fermentation Fervor in order to explore some of the work that Sander was doing, because it fit into my dissertation project. But what, you know, I found there, along with wonderful friends, was really a different way to learn and a very experiential Relationship to learning that was not a part of the way that I had been doing my work up until that point. And it was just, yeah, it was immersive and it was incredibly rewarding to just do that work very hands on um, and materially with others because I had felt so, you know, alone up until that point.
1: Yeah, for me, such a similar experience in terms of, I guess, being out of grad school. I actually had been out for about six years, but I, I'd i had a job in New York that I was just really tired of. And I think honestly, I was still figuring out both the connection to higher ed, the art world, how I was supposed to interact with the art world in New York. The fact that those things were not coming together for me in any semblance of a normative experience of like understanding how to enter that and that the relationships that I had, especially with people in those spheres, did not feel honest to me. They didn't feel rewarding. And that partially was me. I see in both the environment and in myself things that needed to change. After I read Michael Pollan's book, Cooked, that's where I found out about Sandor cats, And I was doing so much self-experimentation in many ways, but working with sourdough In the kitchen, doing a lot of cooking to take care for myself and my wife while she was going through her very difficult uh, medical residency and training. And through cooking, I just started to feel like there was science there that I was really interested in, but there was magic and sort of alchemy that reminded me of what I love so much about working with materials and finding really unique scenarios that feel like creativity in such an unbridled sense of what that is. So my interest in going to the Foundation for Fermentation Fervor was out of that wanting to, again, have a transformative experience, as Stephanie said, and answering a call. You know, it was a calling to do that. While there, not only finding this new world of people that wanted to invite possibility and diversity, at least from my understanding of of how most of us treated that experience, the possibility of what can be created with fermentation, the experimentation, it just wasn't something I found in art making in a sense of, of what I was sharing with people or what was being shared. It was too cold a world. I think now there are many other possibilities and what I'm seeing in students and what I'm seeing in changes in art worlds, plural, is some of that. And it's, it's creating those real connections. I was on the brink of finding out gender identity that I really needed to figure out. And I, I needed to transition. And it wouldn't be for a while after... I went on the residency, but I started using non-binary pronouns and started to understand my body. And I do think it had to do with fermentation and with I mean, meeting more queer people, even though I've known queer people all my life, it was the right moment to kind of look at others and say what the possibility for myself was rather than, and I think this goes back to higher ed, figuring out this prescribed role you're supposed to have over and over and over and fitting that form and fitting that mold. And I never felt like I fit in. So I think breaking from that was really important.
0: That is such a beautiful discussion. I think this idea of a transformative experience and then coming all the way back around to transitioning in one's own identity. I'm really thinking about how you both spoke about The ways in which a kind of normative pathway or normative experience didn't provide the fruits that perhaps it promised or that were expected or they didn't feel satisfying. This other experimental pathway, this transformative pathway that deals with fermentation, really allowed for coming into more creative and reclaimative experiences. I know you both have discussed the ways in which queerness and fermentation allow for a kind of defiance of category and open up possibility and creativity. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that aspect of this program or of your work, the way that you see a transformative experience living alongside the work of fermentation.
2: Fermentation, you know, is about transformation. So you don't have to look far to find those connections. And certainly anyone that has experimented with fermenting foods or who has witnessed the act of fermentation, in the soil or in your body or in a jar of something can understand that it is a transformative process one can approach that as an observer of the transformation and that can yield beautiful thoughts and ideas and you can also approach it as you know a practitioner as someone who creates a practice that cultivates that kinds of transformation or creates conditions for that kind of transformation to happen and you can bring that into yourself. And this is, you know, this is something that Sander Katz writes about in Wild Fermentation, which is still my favorite book of his It's just such a wonderful book, and it was written at such an incredible time in his life. He writes about fermentation as a transformative act, as a biologically transformative act, but also as one that can transform ourselves, can transform our relationship to each other. And it should, and that microbes and the microorganisms involved in fermentation, they can be teachers, you know, in this process. We can say more about the queerness of microbes themselves, that they're such interesting teachers and to think of how you could might model your life off of a a microbe as as a thought experiment is very fun. And I think Sean has taken that, you know, question I know to heart in his work and I've seen him explore that through writing or through sculpture of just thinking of what it would be like to think of one's microbial self and act or write or think or make from that perspective?
1: Yeah, certainly that multiplicity of self, um, I mean, the microbiome and its percentage of human cells to microbial cells in the body being greater than 50% microbes. It's such a a wonderful perspective of scale. When I think about what part of that transformation is, it really is a perspectival shift on life. I mean, just that I'm small, that's okay. I'm really, you know, I'm small and I contain small things and that's really okay. But I love thinking about time scale. I love, in my mind, just like trying to go back as far as I possibly can until... You know, I understand the very first microbe forming in a hydrothermal vent and what that's like, you know, what the conditions on earth were and what the smells and the look of that was, you know. So part of it is having this ultimately very sensory experience with visualizing and understanding the body. So the containment of the body, our boundaries, boundaries with other things, which, you know, Stephanie and I. I've talked about a lot too, and Stephanie talks about a lot, especially with regard to, to hygiene, well, the concept of hygiene. For me, the the sensory experience, that was something that really strayed from what I understood my education to be, which was very calculated and a- analytical in terms of how one needed to know very, very specific discourses of painting and of art, and that coming from that lens, the room for other things felt so thin, even though certain types of artists circulated whose work was shocking, and, you know, and of course, mostly men, but not entirely. So I just, I think there's this experience of understanding taste for me, like getting into taste, getting into flavor, when I started to understand after I got out of grad school and I was a, I worked at a fine wine store as a beer specialist. And I just sort of fell into this job and I really liked it because I got to figure out the whole, you know, histories of beer and terminology. And I just was kind of a geek about it. But I realized what I lo- liked about it so much was just this huge range of flavor that fermentation provided. And getting into making ferments later, that too is part of it, that it's this rich, sensual full experience of the stuff the matter of life and that that matter can have so many different forms and so it's kind of breaking the world into really understanding different versions of what's in front of you you know you can see atoms moving or you can see you know microbes being an aura around someone and, and that that's what goes into it that transformative perspective it's kind of spiritual with if I were to say it's both spiritual and scientific.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. I, I feel like another collaborator of ours, maybe I won't name her, but we, when we've talked, we, we talk about like making a church a fermentation, you know, that it, there, there really is something, there's some religiosity to it that is really interesting. And, you know, it could be a religion or a cult, I guess, depending on how you feel. But that maybe is something that engages one's full senses and feels transformative and can be seen, but not seen. You can't see the microbes, but you can see them working in the world. And people certainly talk about god in this way (laughs) you know not to make this into a religious conversation but there is something about that like it's about faith maybe but in this case we're talking about we know that these processes are happening we know that there are things being eaten and digested and made anew and that genes are being mixed and changed and we know the transformation is occurring we can't always see the actors but we know they are acting There's something kind of spiritual about that that is lovely. And there's not a place for that in higher education a lot of the times. I was in a uh, cultural studies program, which is an interdisciplinary humanities program. So a lot of people did really interesting, politically engaged work, absolutely, but still very research-based. So even within a fairly expansive program that I was in, I just didn't feel like there was a space to um, address that full sensory experience, or it didn't feel quote-unquote academic, which is why I think that experience in Tennessee was just so transformative and it really has shaped the, the both of our futures, both to, as collaborators, but our own work has you know, fundamentally changed since 2014, I would say.
0: I am so struck by this idea of the Church of Fermentation because as you said, Stephanie and Sean, it goes beyond the notion of religion. And I think really what I'm hearing is this idea of faith. And, you know, Baratunde Thurston talks about democracy as a faith Based practice, that we need to be able to believe in things, in people, in entities, in non humans that we don't have control over. And I think there's this sort of beautiful, ineffable quality to your description of taste, Sean, which is a word that the art world is very familiar with in a connoisseurial context. But I think is underrated as a sense, as a sensory system in our bodies. You know, in in the hierarchy of senses, it tends to rank lower in this kind of ableist, generally white supremacist systems of the art world, which I think tend to privilege vision. There's all kinds of historical reasons for that. Descartes, shout out to him. But We don't spend enough time with these ineffable senses. We don't have the words or the ability even to describe and control them and then therefore become somehow disinterested in them or ignore them. And I'm curious to hear you all's thoughts on that question of control and chance operations and the role they play not only in your practices, but also in our hope and our faith for democracy even.
1: Well, what I'm thinking of right away is taste as a full body experience as well, that you can taste with your hands, you taste with your nose, right, as well, so that we forget when in a world that favors and predominantly what's available is food that is highly, highly processed and packaged and removed from its source. So the object of food, you know, filtered through capitalism and capitalism was very much something I was thinking about in terms of what was not quite a specter, like during the experience of the, the residency that we went on, it was a little bit absent, you know? I mean, it was there, it's always there, but it was less present. And so what happens when you take away this force of capitalism, of ruling patriarchy, of white supremacy, et cetera, and what can happen to the body in those circumstances? I mean, I feel like I'm recreating those experiences as much as possible as a practice
2: I think a lot about control. I write about control particularly as a main tenant of the way we think about health in the United States and in North America more broadly for really any hegemonic understanding of health because it's been exported all over the world at this point. And I draw on the work of feminist philosopher Alexis Shotwell, who writes about purity as a practice that is ultimately about control of uncertainty, of difference, of otherness, of boundary making, everything. And I'm always interested in fermentation as a practice that helps to unsettle some of our ideas about what we can control. Because control is a relationship. Sometimes we can't get away from that. And sometimes it brings us comfort, but I don't think everything in our life needs to be a relationship around control. But a lot of our larger culture here in the United States doesn't let us think that way, both capitalism, white supremacy, uh, neoliberalism, right? All these ideologies are so focused on the individual and ultimately that individual is an individual who makes choices about their life about their desires about the world they want to live in that's a relationship of control to be able to choose is to put oneself in a position of control yeah that doesn't make me feel at home it doesn't make me feel connected to others and so I was looking for practices that could help to unsettle that relationship of control and fermentation is specifically, I should say food fermentation. I think just saying fermentation sometimes is too big because I've been working with some food scientists and the pharmaceutical companies do fermentation, uh, you know, huge industrial brewers do fermentation, the gas industry does fermentation. So it's more of these kinds of smaller scale food fermentation practices I found to be a, a wonderful way to do de-center the human control over the natural environment because you can only set the condition for the ferment. It's not going to taste the same even if you put the same ingredients you know every time and there's always something that is beyond your control whether that's the weather or the microbes themselves or the materials and so I've appreciated fermentation my own practice around it for the very thing it does to that notion of control by decentering centering it and, and unsettling it.
0: Towards that idea of really learning from food fermentation, from these microbes, you mentioned microbes as teachers. I think that's just such a lovely, humbling idea. And I'm curious, who are your other teachers? Who do you kind of engage with and learn from and enter into these relationships with?
1: Sean
2: and I have talked about being inspired by the more than human worlds broadly. And certainly we think about microbes around fermentation practices, but I've, you know, also been thinking a lot with mushrooms lately and with fungus and I want to know new ways to do things. I want to see things modeled and be inspired by practices that are earth based and don't necessarily involve human actors, and see what I can learn from that. Not, you know, not to anthropomorphize, although that's a part of the process, but rather to just kind of be inspired. I will also say that I have this uh, ongoing book club where we read eco-feminist speculative fiction, and it's been going for years now. And I am continually inspired by these feminist science fiction writers who were able to so accurately diagnose the present, with these visions of the future and the past, just rereading Ursula Le Guin. And I am constantly blown away by her analysis of power and the way that she thinks about human and natural relationships. It's astounding. You know, I would say in terms of who our teachers are, like earth-based, natural world, looking for those kinds of lessons and from other artists and makers and writers and the creators of the world who do it from, from a particular perspective, of course, from non-dominant, non-hegemonic perspectives.
1: Well, I think Stephanie is one of my teachers. That's for sure. One of my benefactors. I think that, yeah, I mean, I've been a stubborn person in my life. And there's been times where I've really not accepted mentorship and I've shrugged it off or thought, you know, I don't need this at that time. But I started to wake up a bit to who's around me, to who I really needed to learn from and to cultivate those relationships. And so in terms of people, um, that has meant developing these kind of crucial friendships and collaborative relationships where I know that I'm going to continue learning from them and that most of the time at the, at the basis of it, like with Stephanie, There is this really tangible interest in getting outside of ourselves, gaining outside of self-centeredness to really find ways to look at and work with the world to create new things, new scenarios, new possibilities, and trying to not be skeptical of what that means. I mean, for me, trying to not be skeptical because of the onslaught of terror that continues to happen. The other thing is that I've allowed myself to be my teacher, because there were a lot of things I need to learn for myself. I try to understand that from a a perspective of really, really listening, listening to my body, how to sit with those uncomfortable feelings, move through them, and understand that as a part of this interconnectedness of, of being. Since we've moved to this area, my wife and I have fallen in love with the tall grass prairie and Kansas landscape in particular. And we've really gotten into native plants. My wife more so than I in, in making native plant gardens, and I'm learning through her intentionally to cultivate that relationship. Um, she has her thing, and I wanna I wanna learn from her. But going out to the Tallgrass Prairie into these areas of open expanse that are really really overlooked and really have been undervalued since they were colonized and taking that into perspective you know taking in the really really hot summer and then the the extreme breeze that (laughs) extreme wind that Kansas brings on just these again like full sensory experiences and trying to be present and trying to continually learn what it means to be present with something and when one shifts between you know, having a subject, studying something, and being truly with that thing. What are those different kinds of experiences and how do we shift between them and how do we learn how to practice and cultivate that as much as possible? And where do we have time for it? How can we create that time with the context that we have discussed being the dominant hegemonic way we have to live our lives?
2: That's kind of at the core of why I've been doing the things I've been doing lately. It's being motivated by wanting to do things with my friends and then spend time with people that I care about and that I want to think and do things with. And I think this question of like, how do you collaborate? How do you make time for relationships? That was always something I would have had to bucket out from my academic, my work. And so to be able to say, i'm going to move forward making a life with my friends doing things together that has just been such a different orientation to how i spend my time and then my intellectual energy and physical energy and it's yielded such different results and I think that, you know, Sean and I continue to work together because we want opportunities to be with one another and think together about things. And, you know, it's not so much that we are imagining some outcome that only together we may accomplish. It's that here's an opportunity for us to be together. What can we do with this opportunity? And I think that moving and and thinking and creating from that space has just felt so much better to me as a person than any other kind of orientation to the work that I'm doing.
0: I love that idea of slowness, of being with your friends, of learning from yourself. And something I'm kind of hearing is sort of an antidote to capitalist colonialism. I'm hearing this alternative direction to learning That is, instead of going out, conquering the mountains, seeing the new unseen landscape, understanding the other, it is a kind of looking around you and a presence with what is around you, those who love you and are already in relation with you, creating new things from that. It's making me think of a similar critique of global philanthropic capitalism, where instead of spending your money elsewhere to help people of color, usually white people wanting to help people who they deem in need, if that sentiment was actually felt deeply, it would be lived by those people in their communities. And perhaps they never would have accumulated all of that wealth to begin with. And I'm really curious to hear in those intimate relationships, how do you create that space for the kind of transformative experiences that we've been talking about? What are the conditions? What are the commitments that you make to yourself and to each other?
2: After Sean, I met at Foundation for Fermentation Fervor. It was, you know, just like keeping in touch, like, oh, how's it going? Oh, here's some pictures from the residency. Cool. And, you know, being social with each other. And then there was an opportunity to write something for this collection, Fermenting Feminism. And, you know, that could have been something that, you know, Sean just submitted because his work fits perfectly in that world. I could have submitted it because it's something about my, my own research. I could have drawn from my scholarship, but we both were like, let's do something together. What would that look like? Let's do creative writing. You know, something neither one of us had really ever done and, and play with some layouts of how that might look. And we felt because of, we trusted each other and we were committed to doing something together. We were able to take some risks and experiment a little bit. Uh, On what we wanted to do, which I think is a part of having an experience be transformative is that you're open, you're ready to be changed, and you're maybe ready to do some things that you aren't already an expert in you're ready to kind of take a risk, and it helps when the stakes are a little lower than (laughs) or you tell yourself that the stakes are a little lower. And, you know, that was such a great experience. And we were able to go to a conference together and we met other wonderful people that have kind of, I feel like are now a part of my intellectual circle and my, my life in that way. And then I got a small grant to do some kind of like an experimental pedagogical project. Actually, it was funded through this feminist arts and science shop at UC Davis. And again, I was like, I know I wanna do something around fermentation and I could have just done that project. But I was like, this is another opportunity to work with Sean, cool. So, you know, it flew out and we ended up doing this workshop. It's a, it's a fermentation workshop at the public library, a free fermentation workshop for anybody who's in the public library in uh, here in Davis, California. And we approached it as a way to do like non-dogmatic teaching, to really just come into fermentation and try to actually teach it to others without saying this is exactly how you're supposed to do it. And that's something I think we both admired in Sandra Katz's teaching practice as well. And so that is a workshop I still do you know, been, it came out of our, our work together. And, and I never would have done that if I wasn't inspired by Sean and had the opportunity for us to work together again.
1: Yeah. That creative writing that we did for <laughs> now I'm going to try to say the title, <laughs> Bub- bubbling bodies. And what did we title it?
2: Was <laughs> it bubbling bodies and queer microbes? Okay
1: yes dispatches from the foundation for fermentation fervor there we said it again everyone has to drink something every time we said that the whole podcast (laughs) but i i wanted to do something like some creative writing some collaborative writing some collaborative anything like i wanted to collaborate when i was in grad school i was like please someone at Yale, will you please just like make something? I didn't, I was, I didn't really ask people like that because it was not, it just didn't feel right. It was not the vibe. That was not the vibe. You know, I, I yearned for that though. Yeah, this moment is like, what are the, ri- what, well, I mean, it is taking a risk somehow because of course I was ingrained to understand, you know, my time, my creative time, my studio time, being these really precious things, which I do think, Um, they are, and I have increasingly less of it in some ways, but in other ways, that space of what I'm doing has shifted, and part of that has to do with social practice, with social engagement, with what I understand to be the thing that I'm making in the world, that I do need to have creative outputs, but there's a bigger picture of how I'm trying to understand um, life purpose or you know what to do with the power that I have in this world to create things with other people and where where do those resources go if I am a resourced person, uh, where can I best put my resources so I do think about how the effort of writing the efforts of attempting to you know collaborate um, on many things you know with my role as the social practice program head you know what, what I can do in that role and imagining that has been really fun. During COVID, it's been, you know, it's going, it's difficult. I'm in a planning phase to, to think about what can really be possible after that. But that's something exciting and it's new. It's on a precipice of a sort of expansiveness. But I think that that idea of like, like where, where are you sitting in perspective to find expansiveness at the other side and that's not always something I feel, certainly. <laughs> certainly, I feel like the world has diminished and that like it's very hard to keep doing things. But it's coupled and paired with the other side of, of that moon, of of it being a, an open, expansive, that perspective of possibility, which I think in the conversation of the new, for me, perhaps in a romantic way, I don't know, is, is also the old, I mean, and I mean, really, really, really old. (laughs) Because, because again, and coming back to like, how I how I illustrated it, like, this restoration and repair with the earth that needs to happen in order to heal our relationships with with other humans as well, that I think those things are bound, coupled with a with a true understanding of how like earth systems work and how, how we interact with things like our waste. But the idea of, of having this relationship with the possibilities of the old gives this space for what I think about as being new and new kinds of relationships or restored, re- revived.
2: We're always collaborating, like for the example where like respiration is a collaboration, like digestion is a collaboration. And so it's the same thing with like yearning to have a collaborator. It's like we're already collaborating. So there's just something about the awareness and the attention that you bring to it. And it's just seemed to me to be a sibling of the idea that expansiveness is there it's just about bringing your attention to it and being ready to receive it.
1: Stephanie, with what you were just saying, you know, the our possibility for respiration, uh, the collaboration that we're always undergoing, and those things were a collaboration. Like it goes all the way back to symbiogenesis, like it goes back to the possibility of two microbes meeting and then creating an organelle and then like, you know, these wonderful things happen and then you have a lung and a human. I mean, it's 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 all <laughs> this wonderful like Pac-Man <laughs> collaboration <laughs> all the way down.
2: One of my favorite like food studies philosophers, Lisa Helke, she has a paper called It's Chomping All the Way Down and it's just <laughs> things eating each other all the way down and all the way in a circle, so... He would very much appreciate that take on it.
1: And the waste it's like it's eating each other and then the waste is used and the waste is what we breathe and the, I mean you know it's like it's beautiful.
0: Wow it's chomping all the way down I'm really going to be
1: visualizing
0: Ouroboros Pac-Man <laughs> and dreaming about Pac-Man. I love that idea that The new is the old and that where you're sitting in perspective really determines how you find expansiveness on the other side. That it's not whether expansiveness exists or doesn't exist, but how you orient yourself to it. I just think that's such a beautiful note of encouragement and hope and dare I say faith to end on as we think about how all of us can kind of return to and be present in ourselves, our communities, wherever we are in the world, as we listen to this and go into tomorrow. Thank you both, Stephanie and Sean, so much for your radical presence through the interface of Zoom to really be here and show up and encourage us all to, to feel that.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, both of you, Ariana and Stephanie. This was a wonderful conversation.
2: Thank you for the opportunity.